I'd invite you to open your Bibles with me to Ephesians 1. Again, you can grab those. Uh, if you're using one of those Bibles in the chair in front of you, uh, you can find our passage this morning on page 976. 976. Uh, I'm curious, you ever, you ever talk to somebody who's just deeply passionate about something? You just get into a conversation, you can tell very quickly it is about something they just totally, absolutely just live for. Like, everybody ever talk to Jake about the gun? Get After church today, if you've not, ask Jake about the gun. Or you guys don't know Ben very well. Uh, Ben's in the back. Get Ben talking about Star Wars or, or something like that. You know, you'll find out just how, how passionate he is. Or talk to Josh. You know, Josh talked about youth group. Josh is so passionate about student ministries and serving uh, teenagers. Get him talking. Or Julie, missions. You know, we've all got things in our lives that we're, we're really passionate about. And when, when people just start to, when, when someone just starts to unload about something that they're passionate about, one of two things happens, right? Number one, you're, you're really like, wow, this is cool how much they know and really appreciate and enjoy this thing that they're so passionate about. On the other hand, sometimes you're like, okay, this is maybe a little bit more than I uh, vouched for and what I wanted to, to chew off on this thing of your passion. But it's always encouraging kind of in, in some way when someone talks about their passion because it's not just someone kind of going off about, you know, the, the facts and the details of all those things. Those are there. Jake can give you every feature that the gun has to offer and why it's important. But, but the, what makes it difference is he'll, he's going to talk to you about how it's made an impact in his life, like uh, why he really cares about it so much. And that's where uh, that personal experience begins to come in. And over the last uh, couple weeks here in Ephesians 1, Paul has been gushing. He's gone off. He has unloaded about what he's passionate about the Lord and the blessings that God has given to Christians and he has just gushed and gushed about all of these things and these run-on sentences just not even taking a breath to say here's all the wonderful things that we have in God here's all the things that he's done and here he kind of slows down but just for a second because it's almost as if you could imagine Paul writing and it's like okay you picture him writing this letter and he gets to this place he's like man hold on I have just I've just been going off. Like maybe I need to let people breathe for a second, you know, and, and start to dial back. And here in verse 15, we're going to see he kind of shifts gears and he actually prays for these people, but he does so again in a, in a fit of passion because, uh, well, we have one run on sentence in the first, you know, 13 through 14 here, another run on sentence where Paul just talks and talks. And it's like either, either Paul is truly passionate about all of this, or he needs to go back to Greek 101 and learn how to set up his sentence structures and, and talk his language and write because uh, he just really, really kind of dives into all this. So if you haven't, again, I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1 because I'd love for you to follow along and see uh, what God's Word has to say. But we're going we're gonna to look at this prayer uh, that Paul has for the, the church in Ephesus. Starting in verse 15, we're going to go through verse 23, the end of the chapter. And Paul says this, because for this reason, referring to all these wonderful blessings that God has given us in Christ, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you 
What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And here's the first period, at least in the ESV. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. you pray with me? Father, Lord, we do come before you and ask. We ask that as Paul prayed, that their eyes would be opened to see and understand the glories and the beauty of all that you have blessed them with. I pray that as we talk about this passage this morning, Lord, that you would open our eyes as well. That you would help us to see and to understand and to know uh, the great uh, wonders of the blessings that you have given us in your Son. I pray, Lord, that as we look at your Word, that you would reveal yourself to us in, in a way that only you can do. And so I pray that as I speak, I wouldn't just speak for my own accolades. I wouldn't share my own thoughts or my own ideas, but that we would look to your word and that your word would be taught and understood and applied in our lives and our understanding. We pray all of this now this morning in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. So Paul's praying uh, for these people. And uh, if, if we're honest, when we start to look at his prayer, now here, here's how it breaks down. This isn't genuinely Paul saying, Dear Lord, and he prays all these things. He's telling them, like, hey, I'm praying for you. Uh, here are the ways that I'm praying for you. And the, and the things that he prays are, are, are really cool, but they're unique because they're not really the way that we often find ourselves praying today. We uh, Today, we are very... Let's call it, we're, we're request-oriented prayers, right? We pray for people's requests. We pray for their circumstances. We pray for needs in our lives and the lives of other people. And we don't often find ourselves praying in all the ways that Paul is here. And I've seen it. I've been a part of small groups. I see it in our small group at times, right? Where we say, hey, let's take a time to pray and we'll share prayer requests. Here's what's going on in our lives. And we'll go to, to a time of praying. And what happens? Those prayer requests get prayed for, and when and all those have been hit, what? Silence. Waiting for whoever is going to kind of close it out to say, oh, we're, we're done praying, let's close it out now. We're request-oriented prayers. Call it how it is. And so I think as we, as we look at this passage this morning, hopefully we'll even find some encouragement in our own lives and how we can be praying for each other, praying for other people, but also just the, the great encouragement that Paul is offering to these other believers that he knows. So what I want to do this morning is look at three kind of simplified ways that Paul is praying for this church. And we'll parse those out as we work through this passage. But three ways that Paul is praying for them. And the first is the encouragement for us in our relationship with one another, right? Paul prays that in the Spirit we would be encouraged in relationship to one another. Now, in a day and age where Twitter wasn't a thing and Facebook wasn't a thing and cell phones where you could call up and text your friend and tell them everything that's going on, words still seemed to travel. Now, they weren't getting on the, the news stations and finding out everything that was happening, but Paul has heard word of this church in Ephesus. And we're told in verse 15, he said, the word that he's received is of their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love toward all the saints. 
And for Paul, this is nothing but the best of news. Because if you were to remember last week in verse 13, we talked about uh, in, in view of all of these great blessings that God has given us, uh, Paul kind of concluded that saying that you've been sealed in the Holy Spirit when? Verse 13, uh, down to verse 13 there, uh, when you heard and believed in Christ. So you believed in Him and you were sealed in the Spirit. And we asked the question last week, well, how do we know then if... I've been sealed in the Spirit. How, how do you know that you've been sealed in the Spirit? And we said, well, well, there's fruit, right? Just in the same way as you're going to look at a tree and find out uh, the nature of the tree by its fruit, there's fruit to the Spirit. And if you turned your page last week to Galatians chapter 5, we looked at the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit starting love. And so here, can you imagine Paul saying, I've heard, look at all these wonderful things that, I, that, that, that are true for, for those who are in Christ. And I've heard that you have faith. And I see evidence of that because if you really have faith, you've been sealed in the Spirit, and I see the fruit of the Spirit. I'm hearing word of the fruit of the Spirit in your midst that you are you are marked by love for each other. That the Ephesian church is a, is a community of believers that love one another. And Paul's like, this is such a great encouragement to me. Such a great encouragement that that there is authenticity to what's going on and what God is doing uh, there in Ephesus. And so, uh, as we look at that, it's such an, a reminder for us that hey, the working out of our faith is done within community. Uh, Jake, you have officially put Bill Warner in the record books for saying you can't John Wayne Christianity, right? He, he is recorded forever in the history of all things because it's on the internet that Bill Warner said you cannot John Wayne Christianity. You can't do it on your own. You don't demonstrate love for other people outside the context of fellowship with them. And here Paul is saying, I'm seeing your faith, not in Artemis, this God who was widely worshipped and known in Ephesus, not in the other gods of their day, but their faith in the Lord Jesus, that these people in a Roman society didn't bow the knee to Lord Caesar as their God and their ruler. They have bowed the knee to Lord Jesus. And they love each other. They're spurring each other on. And so can you imagine the encouragement that that is? And we get to live that out even today, that as you take a stand in faith, say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to live by faith. You know what that does for the person sitting next to you? Hey, they're, they're standing in faith for Jesus. I could stand with them. Someone else stands with them. And then here we have a whole congregation of Christians saying, all right, let's stand in this together. Let's do this. And let's care for one another. Let's love one another. All of these things that are outlined in the Scriptures is what it's supposed to be. That's Hebrews chapter 10. Spurring one another on to love and good works. What? Not neglecting to gather together. The church is the assembly of God's people. We are together. We gather. We do things together. That's a big reason we're on Sundays. We come and we gather together to minister to each other, to love each other, to encourage each other, to to learn and to grow in our faith and our understanding of the Lord. Because that's what we've been called to do. And so Paul says, in view of all this, in view of these great blessings that you have faith and you have love, uh, verse 16, he says, I don't cease to give thanks to God for you. I am so thankful for the fruit that God is producing. I thank Him for you every day. I am so thankful that He is at work because this fruit says that it's not your own doing. 
It's not your own working out. It's God working in you. So thank the Lord, not thank you. He doesn't say, hey, hey, church in Ephesus, thank you so much for being hard workers in the faith. He says, I thank the Lord for this because the Lord's the one working this out. And not only that, but I pray that you would continue to grow. That's the end of verse 16 there. Remembering you in my prayers. Even praying for one another is a great blessing of the Christian faith because praying for each other isn't just wishful thinking. It's not just sending positive vibes someone's way. You know, I knew someone from high school who has made it abundantly clear that they don't believe in God. They want nothing to do with God. And a couple of years ago, they found themselves going through a very difficult time in life. And they put out the classic Facebook post. If you would, just send some vibes my way. Send some positive think, send some positive thoughts my way. And they said, if you're a religious person, would you mind praying for me? And it struck me. I was like, well, that seems like a strange request. Because you don't believe God exists. So who am I praying to? Am I just uttering words of babble to nothing, just the air, and hoping that it sends some positive force of energy your way to improve your life? No. When we pray for one another, we are taking our brothers and sisters before the throne of God. Bringing each other's names before the Creator of the universe. Interceding on each other's behalf. It's a blessing just to know that other people are praying for you. One of you guys texted me yesterday and said, hey, I was praying for you today. You know what that does to your pastor? Ah, thank you. That's great. It wasn't too long ago. I was totally humbled. I met a, a couple that goes to our Aurora campus. So some of you guys uh, who are new or maybe don't know, our, our church, this is one campus of Village Bible Church that is seven different campuses in the Fox Valley area. And I met a couple from our Aurora campus I had never met before, never recognized. I could have ran into them and never had any idea. And they said, hey, we're, we've been praying for you every single week. We pray for the pastors of the different campuses of Village Bible Church. I was like, it's the little things, right? <laughs> Where sometimes God just gets a hold of you. And I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. That was such an encouragement. They said, well, tell me about your family. Tell us about your church. Because they wanted to pray more specifically. They, they wanted to pray for our family. They, they wanted to pray for you guys. They wanted to pray for us. They wanted to know how they could be doing that. And it was such a... Such an encouragement to me because now uh, the Lord brings that to my memory every day when I'm going through it and just going through a day, right? You all have those days where you're like, you're going through it and it's just one of those days and you're struggling and uh, to get going. Maybe for me, sometimes it's just you're grouchy, having a bad day, maybe having a hard time coming up with a sermon and you're like, where, uh, you know, it's like you really got to just grind at it and you're like, okay, got to go. And then it's like, wait, people are praying. There are people who are praying that God would help me to be a faithful pastor such an encouragement. But it's not just for me. One of the coolest things, uh, those, for our elders who are here, you know this, but uh, as a church of seven campuses, what we do once a month is we gather all of the elders from all of the campuses of Village Bible Church and we come together. And it's, there's a, we take an opportunity there to, to share what God is doing at each of the different campuses and just kind of little updates and say, here, here's what's going on in Indian Creek. Here's what's going on in Plano at Sugar Grove. And, and then we take time as all the, the leadership and the elders of the whole church and we pray for all the different campuses. And people that you wouldn't be able to pick out of a crowd are praying for the ministry that God's doing here. 
They're praying for they're praying for the kids. They're praying for our small groups. They've been praying for our church's impact in our community. They've been praying for our membership to grow, that, that we would grow in our knowledge and understanding of the Lord. They're praying for you. So when you're going through it, there's an encouragement to say, okay, someone's praying. Someone is taking my name before the throne of God and interceding. That should encourage us. Should encourage you to know that others are doing that on your behalf. And so that's where Paul's first prayers is just that we would be encouraged in our relationship with each other. But secondly, he goes on, he prays that in the Spirit we would be enlightened in our relationship with the Father. Now I know that when we use this term enlightened, that tends to bring some like the, the very like snobby kind of mentality to it. Oh, the enlightened ones, you know. It's not quite what we've got in mind here. But Paul's getting at that we, that we would come to a place of understanding. And, and the focus of that, if you look at verse 17, he says, I'm remembering you in my prayer, 16, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation of what? In the knowledge of Him. Primarily, Paul is praying that these Christians, that is, the believers, they would grow in their knowledge of the Father. Guys, God is bigger than we can wrap our minds around. There is more to God than we can fathom. He is an infinite God, and we are mere finite created beings. So if you can package God within your mind, if I could package God within my mind, what kind of God must He really be? And so Paul says, I am praying... To true authentic believers, I am praying for true authentic believers that you would grow in your understanding of the Father. Now there's encouragement for us in this because it reminds us that while we can't know God fully, we do know God truly. We can know true things about who God is as He has revealed Himself to us in His Word. Yes, He has revealed Himself to us in the Scripture. We don't have to doubt. God says, the Scripture tells us that God is a loving God. He is a God of kindness. He is a God of grace. He is a God of mercy. The Scriptures tell us He's a God of judgment and justice and wrath. All of these things are true of God. We can know Him truly. But who are we to think that we can know God fully? That as we learn more of Him, we, we start to discover the depths of those things. So we know that God is a loving God, but we don't know the depths and the breadth of God's love. That's why in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is going to pray just for that. That these believers would be able to comprehend, this is verse 18 of chapter 3, the, with all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, that what? Surpasses knowledge. We know God truly, but we do not know God fully. We have an eternity to learn of the glorious God whom we love and serve. And so Paul prays, would you, I pray that God would show himself to you more and more. You know, you may know that God is a faithful God, but I pray that God would show you his faithfulness. 
That you may experience His faithfulness. You know that God is merciful, but I pray that you would know God's mercy. That you may grow in your understanding of God's mercy, the depths of His mercy, the extent of His mercy, and so on and so forth. And so He prays that in the Spirit that we would have wisdom and revelation of these things in the Lord. I want you to imagine for a second that you have lived lived your whole life unable to see color. Just imagine that for a second. I don't know if anyone here is colorblind. And this, this is not to be too personal, but I just want you to imagine you've never seen color. You have lived your entire life and it's a black and white film. Everything's gray. Everything's kind of dull. Uh, you've gone through your entire life this way. And someone brings you a pair of glasses and they say, these glasses will help you to see color. And you put these glasses on and as you do, the world, your vision is filled with, with colors you've never seen before. Colors you couldn't even imagine before. And suddenly the world that you've been living in the world that you've seen but never really seen comes to life. That's what Paul is praying for the same kind of transformation for believers. That we would see the beauties of what God, who God is and all God has done. They're there. It's the world that we've seen. It's the world all around us, but that our, the eyes of our hearts would be open to see and to perceive all that He is. Because you'll notice, as we get into this, uh, throughout the past couple of weeks, He's been talking about all these blessings, and here Paul refers back to them again in verse 18, that you may know. He, he says, he's praying that you may know what is the hope to which God has called you. He is praying that you would know what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Verse 19, that you would know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. Now notice what Paul's not praying for. Paul doesn't pray that God would give them hope. He doesn't pray that God would give them riches and inheritance. He doesn't pray that God would give them power and might. He says, I am praying that you would know those things. They're there. We don't perceive them. We don't know them fully. They are yours. That's what his prayer is for, that we would not just uh, live as if we don't possess these things, but we would live as if we do. And so as we grow in this, I think it's safe to say, I think it's safe to say that we perceive, we perceive only a fraction of what we possess fully in Christ. And so in the Christian life, as we continue to walk with God, our understanding of these things grows. I'm understanding it more fully. Not that you are becoming more saved. Not that, becoming you, not that you are becoming more hopeful. Not that you are becoming uh, more rich in His inheritance. Not that becoming you are more powerful. But that you are understanding these things more fully. And Paul's prayer is that the Spirit of God would be at work in their lives, peeling back the layers, if you will, that dim and distort these glories. Could we not pray for each other in such a way? 
Couldn't we pray for the people in our small groups, our family members, our neighbors, our friends, our loved ones, just one another, look around the room and say, could we not pray for each other? That we would continue to grow in our understanding that God would reveal these things? See, Paul, this is not just some self-help jargon. Paul is praying that God would reveal this stuff. This isn't you digging deeper, looking farther within yourself to some revelation of things. This is Paul saying, God's the one who needs to open your eyes. So I'm going to the source, and I'm praying that he would do that. I'm praying that as you continue in your faith, as you continue in your love for one another, that you would come to a greater understanding of these things. And this leads us finally to the third thing that Paul prays for, is that in the Spirit, we would be empowered in our relationship with Jesus. Empowered again, not in yourself, not just digging deeper, trying harder, working working harder at these things, but you would be empowered in the strength that is God at work in and through us. And in case... In case you find yourself in a period of life right now where you are doubting or struggling with this idea, is God really at work in me? Could God really work in me? I mean, He knows what I've done. He knows what I've been through. Paul says the evidence for it is in Christ. May you know the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Paul is setting up what is going to be chapter 2 that we'll look at in the next couple weeks. You want to doubt that God can work and does work in your life? Well, He raised Jesus from the dead, didn't He? And he says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is, guess what? The same power that is at work in you. So if God has the ability to raise Christ from the dead, can He not raise you from death to life? That's chapter 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Jump down to uh, verse uh, 6. That even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. Christ has become our model. That the power that raised Him from death to life is the power that raises you from death to life. So there's confidence and assurance in the resurrection that if Jesus did not raise from the dead, then then you've got reason to worry. Then, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, your, your faith is futile, our preaching is in vain, all of this is worthless, and the world should have pity on us as Christians because what a foolish thing we are devoting our lives to. Oh, but if Jesus rose from the dead, that's a game changer. The hinge on which everything folds. The hope to which we cling to. That He never again will taste death, Romans. So if we are in Christ, then neither will we taste death. One day we will die. But Jesus says, not not truly. We have eternal life, but only in Him. This reminds me, one of my favorite miracles that Jesus did. It's in Mark chapter 2. And in Mark chapter 2, 
Jesus is, is uh, in a house and he's, he's preaching uh, to a whole group of people and, and it became so crowded, right? So many people have come to hear Jesus preach and, and they're crowded in this place. There's no room. I mean, we are just jam-packed and it's like, dude, that would be kind of cool. Like, imagine the atmosphere of that scene. And here's four guys who are like, okay, we've heard of this Jesus. He's the, he's the healing man, right? And, and here we've got a buddy who can't walk. And so they're like, why don't we take him to see Jesus? So they show up carrying their buddy and they see there's no, like, we can't even get to him. And so they take him up on the roof of this house and they, they lower him through the ceiling to Jesus. And what does Jesus say? He says, your sins have been forgiven you. And it's like in that moment, can you just try to put yourself there for a second? Could you imagine how anticlimactic that must have been for that man lowered through the roof or for his friends? Wait a minute. I thought you were supposed to heal him. Don't you heal people? Your sins are forgiven? So you got to imagine they're questioning things and they're wrestling with this. And meanwhile, uh, this is going on. There's religious leaders that are there. And, and it tells us, if you were to throw it on the screen, Zach, uh, it says, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Just as some of you guys may be right now, you're thinking things in your head. You're not speaking them out loud. They're questioning in their hearts. And they're saying, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they're thinking this, and they're wrestling with this, and they're saying this in their hearts. And then the beauty of it is this, verse 8, and immediately... Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? And now you're, now put yourself in the seats of the scribes. You're like, whoa. Is he reading my mind? He's forgiving sins. He's reading minds. He's healing people. Who is this man? And Jesus says, why do you question these things in your heart? What's easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? The obvious answer is that it is easier to say you're forgiven. Because you can't see that. And so Jesus says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I said to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. I love it. Because to in essence, what Jesus is doing to validate the healing that we can't see, he heals the man in a way that we can see. He says, okay, you want to know that I have authority to forgive sins? Get up and go home. And the man stands up, he walks out of the room and goes home. You're like, oh, so there must be something to this Jesus. So you doubt and you wonder, can he change me? Is his power, this great power that is God's, is this immeasurable greatness, is it, is it really at work in me? And Paul says, well, he raised Jesus from the dead, didn't he? So you better believe that it's at work in you too. There's great hope. There's great encouragement. Because it is not you working it. It's Him. That's why Philippians, Paul says, work out your faith in fear and trembling. 
Why? Because it's God who's working in you. It's a serious deal. The God of the universe, the God of creation, He's at work in you, changing you, shaping you, molding you, giving you life where you were dead. May we be empowered in our relationship with Jesus. And he goes on. He says, the great hope that you have is in that, that not only was Jesus just raised from the dead. I mean, if it were that alone, that'd be great. Cool. Jesus not only, but he has been seated at the right hand, at the Father's right hand in the heavenly places. He has been seated far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And Paul says, listen, it is the resurrection of Christ and it is, it is his exaltation that ought to get your juices pumping in the morning. You're like, all right, let's go. That you can stand up in the power of God to live out the life that he has put before you, whatever that may be. He has given you all that you need to face today. And you'll wake up tomorrow and he's given everything you need to face tomorrow in Christ. And apart from Him, you're nothing. I'm nothing. So abide. Abide in Him. Look to Christ. Live in Christ. Because He has been given authority and He has been given power. And the great hope for that is that His power and authority supersedes any earthly domain that we can manufacture. There is no power on earth that can change what Christ has done in you. There is no power on earth, there is no authority on earth that can redefine what Christ has defined. He is above all of it. And that means that the hope that we have is not bound merely to this earth, but that our hope is bound to the everlasting one, to the eternal God the immortal one who will not die ever again, but lives eternally. So our hope is outside of this earth and our claim to that hope is above this earth. Which means we can face today and tomorrow with confidence because if he's for us, what? Who can be against Oh, that we might have the eyes of our hearts enlightened to know the Father, to know the hope that He's given us, to know the riches of His immeasurable inheritance, that we might know, that we might know the great power that's at work within us. So pray for one another. What are we going to do as we close out? One, a point of, uh, practical application for us today. If Paul so prayed that he prayed for the, their encouragement in their relationship with each other, their enlightenment in their relationship with the Father and their empowerment in Christ, maybe we could pray for each other the same way. So I want to challenge you in this. And as a family, or if you want to do it individually, that's fine. I want you to pick one of the following that I put on the screen this week. 
Just just pick one. Pick a pick one family that you know, maybe one person that you know. Uh, pick a, another church in our local community uh, or, or any of the communities around us. Uh, pick a country if you want to. I don't, but pick one and make that your prayer this week. Make Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through 23 your prayer for that church, for that family, for that person, for that nation this week. And let's learn to pattern our prayers for these things, for the spiritual health and vitality of those around us, because there's a blessing to it. And elders, Dan, Bill, myself, other Bill's not here today, but this ought to be our prayer for our church, for the flock that God has given us here at Indian Creek. As we care for and shepherd and lead, that we would pray this. This is Paul's pastoral prayer for the church in Ephesus. Now, if it's such a blessing for other people to be praying for us, maybe we can be that blessing for someone else this week. Praying for them, that God might continue to be doing a work and revealing himself to them in greater ways. Amen?